are listening to Space Time Mind, a podcast by two philosophy professors, Richard Brown and Pete Mandick, who talk about philosophy, science, and all sorts of other stuff. Please be advised that this podcast contains strong language and abstract ideas not suitable for all intelligent life forms. Bite my shiny metal ass. It doesn't look so shiny to me. Shinier than yours, meatbag. Space time. Mind. Mind. 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 I should somehow, somehow do a Jedi mind meld. Hey, hello everybody, Space Time Mind. This is Pete Mandick from William Patterson University with Richard Brown. What is up? Taxes. <laughs> okay, and that ends the political segment of this episode. Um, so we we had previously said that we would talk about some movies. Um, I don't know if if people have been like accosting you, but I get accosted by people. Like, if a movie comes out with robots in it or or like black holes or something, they're like, "Mandic, have you seen Ex Machina? Tell me your opinion of it." I'm like, uh, uh, "Yeah, no one gives a cool. shit what I think about opinion. robots." You haven't been accosted, no. <laughs> uh, dear Professor Brown, what up with robots? Any, but anyways, I think we, we said we would talk about these uh, two movies that came out in 2015. One is. Ex Machina, and then the uh, other one is a movie called Advantageous. Yeah. Do you want to try Ex to Machina do... Machina got a lot, of, a lot of positive play. I remember I was uh, reading um, a lot of reviews about it before it even came out over here. So, like, yeah. you know, Neil Seth wrote some interesting stuff about it. Uh, but I tried not to read any of that stuff because uh, I didn't want any spoilers. Speaking so, of spoilers, yeah, there's going to be a um, fuckload of spoilers. In this. <laughs> John Snow gets killed. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. If you don't like spoilers and you haven't seen these movies, yeah, then, uh, go fuck off because oh, we are going to be so harsh about it. About that. <laughs> um, but we are going to spoil the shit out of these movies. Yeah. Uh, and what do you think of this plan? We we uh, before before the break, we try to do our ex machina comments, and after break tackle advantageous uh-huh you want to just wing it and talk about whenever whatever yeah whatever well, let's start with uh ex machina then okay who's what the is- director of that movie i don't give a shit yeah but we should you should oh okay, <laughs> okay. Uh- <laughs> so you don't know who the director is somebody somebody okay i read it i read an interesting interview with him but i didn't i didn't bother to memorize the name uh-huh. I, I have the Wikipedia page for that movie open here. Uh, the uh, the director of Ex Machina, yeah, is Alex Garland. Okay, interesting. How about that? That's interesting to you. Yes. Should we do a quick uh, <laughs> synopsis? You want to briefly synopsize Ex Machina? Do I? No, I mean Turing test. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's a synopsis. Well, somebody is. Somebody, uh, there's like this rich, super rich, like uh, douchey guy who um, he's like the head of some futuristic combination of <laughs> Facebook and Google called Blue Book. And, oh, that, that, yeah, I didn't get that. Oh, and some employee of that company wins uh, or allegedly wins a contest to go out to this isolated, super cool uh, house where the rich guy lives. Rich guy's named uh, Nathan. And Caleb is the guy that wins the contest. Caleb is brought out to Nathan's house. And it seems like at first there's just the two of them. They're, they're shooting the shit. And Nathan slowly reveals to Caleb what Caleb's purpose is, uh, what, what he's going to be doing at the house for a week. And he's going to be uh, doing some kind of Turing test. And they even talk about in the movie how it's not really a Turing test. But there is a thing... And uh, Caleb's job is to make some kind of decision about whether this thing, this artificial thing, is an uh, artificial. Well, why isn't it really a Turing test? Well, with the original uh, imitation game proposed by Alan Turing, uh, 
you are interfacing via text with several entities, one of which is an actual human being and one of which is a computer program. Mm -hmm. And you're supposed to try to distinguish the two of them. Right. Uh, but you're not allowed to like look and see like that, yes, the thing you're interacting with it, it has got gears whirring inside of it. Right. But, and, um, but the artificial... I mean, well, you might. So, so I... So in the movie, I it's mean, they... It's not an original kind of Turing test, but I, th I think that actually... So, I mean... It's ish. It's ish. It's Turing test-ish. Well, I think it is a Turing test. I just think that... So the original reason I think that Turing wanted the thing hidden from you was to avoid prejudice. Because right. you're, if you look at the a machine thing, then you're sort of already automatically biased against it um, being right. intelligent. But you know that assumes a certain attitude towards computation and uh, automata in general, which was probably a lot more prevalent in the 1950s than it is in the year 2014 when this movie is made. So you know the thing it looks robotic yes but it also convincingly behaves like a human and you might think that's yeah. an even stronger turing test if you judge this thing to be a human even yeah. notwithstanding that it's visible to you as a mechanism that's an ultimate uh turing test so i think it's an even better version of the turing test maybe maybe i mean i'm not very interested in the semantics of well it's not the semantics race. it's about turing, what what turing would test. actually count as a, a really decisive kind of test for whether the thing was uh, intelligent or not. And I think that it's much more decisive to have this kind of um, uh, test than the test that originally imagined. So anyway, there's this humanoid robot thing, Ava, that comes out. And I gotta tell you, when we first, when it's first shown, and I had already seen previews, but in the movie, when it's first shown, it's, it's kind of chilling. It's, it, you know, it looks like a, a woman, but there's parts of her that are kind of like see-through and you could see like, uh, lights inside and like wires and so it's obviously like electronic and mechanical and I'm kind of I have this weird fear of like dolls <laughs> I'm afraid of dolls yeah ever since I was a little kid I was afraid like dolls would come to life okay <laughs> and uh, one Halloween we had this inflatable uh, skeleton it was about like three or four feet tall uh -huh. and um, uh, I we we had to throw it away because like walking around the apartment at night and seeing this fucking thing, just it it creeped me out, man. Okay. Even though I know. That... <laughs> okay. So I think a lot. I of want to people... talk about the Turing test. You want to talk about phobias? <laughs> well, I think a lot of people are kind of afraid of um, these these things. It sounds that... like a lot of personal issues. These are all personal issues. Yeah, but the, the Turing, Turing test is test. not a personal issue. That's well, a, the question is: Is it a person? Or is it is it uh, sufficiently like persons uh -huh. to be interesting to maybe be uh, accorded rights or maybe we should regard it as having feelings? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's a very interesting question. That's a legal question. Well, whether it has feelings is not a legal question. Whether it's, it should be accorded rights uh, might be something that's grounded in something deeper than mere legality. No, accorded rights is a legal term. Whether it has rights, that may be something more metaphysically robust, but whether it should be Well, treated. yeah, whatever, then I misused words. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, I think that's enough of a synopsis of the film. Oh, you're still trying to do a synopsis. Oh. I think I don't, does anyone give a shit? I mean, if you've seen the movie, you're watching this, you know what the movie's about already. <laughs> I mean, can we just talk about the movie? <laughs> There's some controversy about what, what the movie's about, actually. Yeah, so people have seen it, and then we people, should just discuss what it's about rather than just There's people who've seen the movie that, that think that, like, the last three minutes were completely superfluous. Oh, yeah. That the movie should have just ended with uh, Ava escaping and leaving Caleb behind. Yeah. Which Instead of going to the uh, stoplight, what's the last three minutes? Well, the, the, uh, after, after you see her leave him behind, you see her uh, from a distance have a conversation with the helicopter pilot. And that's kind of interesting. Uh, what does she say to the helicopter pilot? Obviously something that, you know, she's, she's allowed into the helicopter. Yeah. Uh, and then next thing you know, you see her seemingly free out in society, walking among other, other people. Uh -huh. And, um, and then it goes to the traffic light, which was what she claimed that she always wanted to do. That she wanted to do if they went on a date. 
Well, yeah, but she was clearly manipulating him at that point, but still doesn't mean that that wasn't something that she wanted to do in some sense. I mean, she does go there. But, you know, I, I don't know why that's superfluous. So what's the argument that that's superfluous? It seems like that's the only ending that's consistent with a kind of, um, with it really being a, um, an alien kind of intelligence. Well, I mean, in, in some way it shows uh, her non-alienness. She, she, you know, says that she's interested in, in being at a certain place because uh, she wants to see it. And uh, then we show, they show her actually arriving there. And she doesn't show up and like start killing people or, or like, you know, uh, stealing, stealing batteries to recharge herself. It seems like she's there because she wants to see it. She's like sightseeing. She's curious. She's seeking out experiences, yeah. which seems to be like a, a human kind of uh, motive. So, so in part, I mean, I see it as her uh, passing uh, a, a Turing test or something interestingly similar to the Turing test. Mm -hmm. You know, there's an interesting scene that uh, allegedly was in the script uh, that didn't didn't make it into the final movie. Interesting. Um, I, and I guess you could buy the movie scripts on Amazon. Huh. Somebody in some forum said that uh, there's a there's scene that was originally scripted where uh, they kind of like make a further connection to the discussion of the uh, knowledge argument, Jackson's knowledge argument about super uh, blind, uh, colorblind Mary. Yeah, that's one part I really didn't like about the movie. Well, well, here's the interesting scene. So, so, so you know how toward kind of towards the end of the movie, they show that um, Nathan and Ava are having some kind of conversation, and Nathan, uh, the Richie Rich douchebag, shows this video to Caleb as part of an argument. He's saying to Caleb, "Look, she didn't really like you, dude. She, <laughs> she's playing you." And then yeah. he shows this video. Well, around there, there's a scene in which. Um, you see uh, these shifts in point of view from between Nathan and uh, Ava. So Nathan is talking, and then you see from his point of view him, you know, looking at her while he's talking. She's nodding or whatever. She seems to have human facial emotions. But then it shifts to her point of view, uh -huh. and her point of view is was originally going to be filmed to be like totally like alien and just bleeps and bloops and and huh. like sine wave sine waves and energetic forms to communicate that like she isn't really experiencing his speech like the way you experience english like you right. you hear the words i'm saying and you understand what it means when i say like oh i need to take another drink of water where she is just like has this she has an she has a point of view she has experiences but they're like utterly alien experiences yeah and uh so they cut that out. I would. That's sort of what I would have expected, given the way the movie went. So it's interesting they cut that out. Maybe they think it's sufficiently implied by what happens. But it does seem that that's why the ending works, because what they're trying to make us feel is this is someone, this isn't, because one thing that you might think is, look, a creature that um, acted the way that she did, that could sufficiently convince someone that um, that they were helpless and needed guidance escape assistance or whatever um that someone who could convince someone else that they felt those emotions that they would maybe experience empathy or sympathy themselves um right. but of course the point of the movie is no that's not what happened she kills all of them <laughs> even the guy who helped her uh she leaves him locked in the the building or whatever you know she doesn't stab him i mean you could see why she stabs the other guy He's clearly been abusing them in some sense. Uh, I mean, not in some sense, obviously, yeah. sexually, in, in a, who knows in what other way. Right. Uh, but so it's clear that she has what what kind of reason she would have to have vindictive feelings towards that guy. But towards the other guy, there's no good reason. Um, and it is so that's a really alien reaction that she just well, leaves him in there, locked in there, helpless. You know, he's going to starve to death. Always are in tail. I mean, I, I, he's not going to escape from that that building. Yeah, he is. There was a whole discussion about how they were going to change the lockout procedure. Nathan had it set up so that, like, if there was a, a power outage, yeah, uh, everything would be locked down so that no one could break in by cutting the power. Right. And um, yeah, yeah. And but but Caleb reverses that so that once that once the power runs out, those locks will come out. So once the power runs out, once the power. So there is there is some hope. 
that he will live. That, uh -huh. that he'll, he'll escape. And also, she gives him a glance. <laughs> she, on her way out, I mean, you know, obviously, it seems pretty obvious she didn't fall in love with him. Otherwise, she would have, like, you know, <laughs> brought him with. But she gives him a glance that seems to me to indicate some kind of sympathy and empathy. Uh -huh. um, I mean, she liked him. It might That's have been perfectly expedient to kill him. Uh, I think she had enough empathy and sympathy for him to, to let him live. And, and also, like, going going to that intersection to look at the people like that shows some kind of interest in human beings or uh, it's a quirk of the programming i mean you know maybe maybe the interest is in how to learning how to manipulate them like she did to caleb or or it's just that you know uh there's some i mean you know it's it could be like us uh we're always smoking cigarettes <laughs> there's something about that that's really compelling well no we just it, it causes you know, chemical reaction that we happen to get addicted to. So it could be a weird anomaly like that, a quirk of the programming that makes. Yeah. And, and by the way, they make like Nathan is always fucking drinking in the movie. Yeah. They make a yeah. big fucking deal about this guy is like constantly pounding the booze. Yeah. Constantly. Um, and uh, so, right. Um, we, we are not ideal systems. We have all these weird things that are, you know, kind of, beyond our control or out of our control like you know being addicted yeah. uh, to a substance like that in a way you might say that's the that's the way in which we are machines like that's the most mechanical part of us is uh, our propensity to that kind of like destructive out of control behavior yeah well i mean and the very same character the guy that's depicted as uh drinking so much He's he's the one that's like really eager to compare himself to God. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, at one point Caleb says something about gods, and Nathan like misremembers the what Caleb says in this really self-serving way. He's like, "Oh, so no, you're I'm saying a I'm a god? <laughs> you're saying like I'm like God? I like that. That's interesting. You're saying I'm God." Yeah. <laughs> and the movie title, uh, you know, the phrase "ex machina" is a portion of a larger phrase, which is "Deus." Ex machina. Yeah. God out of the machine. Yeah, but that has, I mean, that, yeah, that, I, I thought of that, but, you know, that, that comes from, you know, Greek tragedy, that phrase. Um, so a deus ex machina is a plot device by which the character has worked themselves into a position that's unresolvable and no, there's no escape. And then suddenly, you know, God shows up and zaps all the, uh, or the the sea is parted or whatever. You know, it's like there's this stuff's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a Deus Ex Machina is that kind of weird plot device. So I was wondering. Right. Um, obviously, they want you to be thinking of God from the machine more than this plot device, like that or something like that. Um, but it is, I think, interesting to kind of look and see if there are any of these kind of plot devices also working in this in the in the movie. Yeah. Um, and maybe this uh, he escapes from the thing is a kind of thing like that, but I don't know. Well, I, well I here's an interesting thing about like so what? Who's trapped? Who's trapped, and who is the god? Um, yeah, she is. <laughs> well, she's trapped. No, she's the god. <laughs> well, hold on a second. Uh, I've got a slightly different hypothesis. Okay. Um, so she's trapped, and and so are those other uh, fembots. And there's also an interesting feminist and uh, 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 com uh, and, 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 and race commentary too, because like all like all of Nathan's robo slaves are are female. The yeah. one in particular that he like heaps the most abuse on is a racial minority. Right. Um, but but anyway, so Ava is trapped. Ava is trying to escape. Part of part of the test for her to try to encourage her to get intelligent. Uh, sufficiently intelligent to be regarded as like, yes, full-blown intelligence is to see if she can manipulate human beings uh, to affect her escape. Right. And the way in which she's able to do that is by uh, being able to deal, uh, like, like interpret and produce facial and other sorts of emotional reactions. But how does she get that ability? Nathan talks about how like he had a real fucking hard time programming that in and you, if you think of like right. early artificial intelligence projects it's really hard to program in like how do you how do you get a thing which just just has video camera eyes to recognize that something is an apple right but there's new approaches like big data approaches to artificial intelligence where you just like you just use these huge databases that involve like all sorts of human input 
for example, you know, a big part of Google image search has to do with this thing that people, I think you could still play this game where like uh, you get on a web browser and you'll be shown these pictures and uh, it'll like give you a choice of words. Mm -hmm. Like is it a bird or an airplane or is it an apple? And it's, and it's, so all these people are, are getting, all these human beings, their knowledge is getting tapped. Uh, and it's putting into the database these associations between images and words. So it's not like you're programming in uh, what what a banana is or what features a banana is. You're just like, yeah. you're, you're pulling a whole bunch of human beings. Yeah. So Nathan in the movie says like, yeah, so I, uh, I hacked into all the cell phones all over the world that have these these cameras that are looking at everyone's faces while they're talking, and I just use that as like a, a, a huge data set. So it's not like he programmed it in, right? He like got the knowledge from like the mass of humanity. We got so, the A N N kind of. I mean, that's one of yeah. the things. Speaking of that Google stuff we were talking about last time, yeah. Uh, one of the things that turns out the reason why it's spotting dogs everywhere is because a large part of the database it was trained on is pictures of dogs. Yeah. And so that makes it even less impressive in, my, in some sense, I think, that that's why it's no mystery why it's mixing up finding dog faces everywhere. It's because it was just told, look for dogs and here are pictures of dogs. Okay. So it'd be much more interesting to do the kind of thing they're suggesting in the movie where yeah. there's but back to God, kind of database. God, which is like dog backwards. But anyway, so uh, <laughs> Ava is the one that's trapped. What's the God that saves her? The God is something like the mass of humanity, this like hive mind or this hive knowledge. Uh -huh. it, it's, it's not, it's not programming. It's more this emergent thing that is emerging from our culture. So it's uh -huh. in a weird sort of, I mean, it's not like some one person saves her, but like humanity or humanness saves her. Uh -huh. but it saves her in this weird emergent way. Interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Um, by crowdsourcing out the data, her, her, well, it's hard to think of that as saving. I guess I see what you mean, but you know, saving seems more active. And you um, might yeah. think about, like, where do we get, you know, where do we get our emotional knowledge and our emotional reactions? It's not like I, I sat down and I figured out what emotions I'm going to feel and yeah. how to express them. <laughs> Nor did anyone explain to me, like, okay, this is this is when you should get angry at Richard, right? And tell him like, go fuck off. Yeah. I mean, I, no one, no one did. No one told you that. <laughs> that's, that's good knowledge to have. <laughs> I just know it a priori. Yeah, of course. <laughs> no, but I mean, but so that, I mean, that, that's I interesting. From my genes and I get it from my culture, and it's all this complex uh, network um, combining nature and nurture. And uh, there's a sense in which um, I am an artificial intelligence because I'm a product of uh, of a cultural artifact. But then there's another sense in which Ava is human because she is a cultural art. She's a cultural artifact in the in the same way that I'm a cultural artifact. She uh -huh. she inherits this body of implicit knowledge that has these various emergent uh, features or unforeseen. Uh, well, that doesn't effects. make her human. That might it, what you could be arguing is that she's a person. But that's a you know different. I, th I think that's a different issue. Yeah, uh, but sure so what, I mean, one, I one of the questions of the movie is, I mean, that they never really address is whether she is conscious or has experiences, um, or whether it's just kind of you know artificial processing going on. Um, it sounds and uh, to me the 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 bringing up of the knowledge argument is supposed to get us to think that she doesn't have experience, that she's in the black and white room, so to speak, yeah. uh, in the sense that she has no experience. I mean, maybe what they were thinking of is, oh, no, I mean, I was thinking of Robo Mary or something as a loose inspiration maybe, but I mean, cause I was really puzzled by why they brought the nar a knowledge argument up at that point. Yeah. Clearly they should have been talking about like the Chinese room or some other kind of argument which suggests that um, the thing doesn't think or have a conscious understanding. But the knowledge argument is supposed to be an argument about whether conscious is physical or not, um, not about whether machines have consciousness. So the only thing I, the only reasonable explanation to me of that is that they are saying it's an open possibility that she lacks consciousness. Uh, but even, even so, it's kind of an irrelevant question because even if it were a deep blue type system that simply, you know, simply saw the facial um, uh, expression that was given to her by Caleb 
and then search this huge database for that kind of facial expression and then what the person did next that led to you know this kind of result uh, um, empathy or sympathy or something that could be a huge lookup table and that might lead to an appropriate response on the part of the machine um, but there wouldn't be any understanding there plausibly there would just be this kind of brute force um, searching through a giant database uh, to get the same way that Deep Blue won the chess match. It had a giant database of all the chess games, simply look for what, ha what do people do here next? Okay, they do this, that leads to 95% of victory, I'll do that. So it could be like that, or it could be that she sort of got this empathetic understanding or something like that. But either way, it's kind of irrelevant because she acts in the world and does it convincingly enough to get a person to help her escape. And so, you know, there's an interesting question about whether they feel or have consciousness or think. That's an interesting question. But the more practical questions sort of supersede that, whether they have consciousness or not. You know not. who nails this? Who I think totally fucking nails this, and I wish he showed up? Who? Is uh, Captain Picard. Because <laughs> in, uh, in, in that episode of... He showed up in the movie. <laughs> in the episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, The Measure of a Man, there's, a, there's like this trial or hearing or something. Yeah, like it's that a legal about, question whether Dave is a person. Yeah. But, no, there's, but there's also this philosophical thing that uh, Picard does because because uh, the the scientist who wants to take data away and like chop them up to make more datas uh, is saying like look you know we don't know that this guy is conscious uh, he's yeah. just a machine and Picard's Picard says well hold on watch this he, he says data do you know where you are right now um, uh, do you know what's happening and then data answers the questions he says like yes I'm I'm in a I'm at a hearing uh, and part of what we're here to talk about is whether, you know, I have sufficient uh, status uh, to, to be granted my autonomy and thus uh, not have to go away with this scientist. And then Picard says, look, it looks like D Data is not only aware of his surroundings, but he's aware of himself. He, he, knows what, uh, he knows what he thinks and what he wants about all this stuff. And... Um, and I'm, yeah. I'm just like, you know, drop the mic, man. Boom. Data <laughs> is conscious. He, uh, he's conscious of his surroundings and he's conscious of his, his self. Uh, he's conscious of his own inner states. And if Picard, if Picard like beamed into this movie, he would have asked those questions of Ava. Like, Ava, do you know, do you know what you're here for? And maybe she did supply similar answers because she did say things like about what she wanted. Yeah. Um, she said she... She, some of it was deceitful. She d didn't really want to run away with Caleb, but she did want to go to that intersection. She said so, and then later on... She did. Th th she did. And so, like, you know, a very plausible interpretation is that she had some kind of state that's worth calling a desire, and she had some other kind of state which is worth calling an awareness of that desire. And so she's got self-consciousness. She's got conscious states. Yeah. See, I don't know. What I'd say whether or not she does or doesn't, it sort of doesn't matter since she's able to move around and do things. You're um, a behaviorist. I'm not a behaviorist. I just think that, uh, look, I, I, if you really want to, so this I think is the same thing we were arguing about before, that in some cases there are, only, there are things which can only be known from that point of view. So whether or not Ava has consciousness, I think, can only really be known by her in a true sense of no, in which there is a kind of, uh, um, uh, justificatory force that's over, not overridable or something like that, which is very rare in my opinion. But with respect to consciousness, we have it. And so I know I'm conscious, and I think you are, but I'm fairly confident about that. I don't have a lot of good reasons to believe otherwise, so I don't feel like I don't know that. I, but I mean, ultimately, I say it's based on some reasonable stuff. But so with respect to Ava, I say same thing. Um, only she really knows. There's no, I mean, we can make these kinds of legal assessments, judgments, and we should treat her this way or we should treat her as if or, you know, give these kinds of arguments. But as far as like knowledge goes, I don't think we can know for real. I mean, in the sense, and in, in maybe in some deflated sense of no, we could say it and, you know, that means like everyone believes it or something. But in a real sense of no, I don't think we could know whether she has consciousness. Well, I think knowledge is poo-poo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this, so, by the way, that's the harder quote unquote problem of consciousness that Block's always talking about. Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't think there's some like kind of high grade poo poo, which is your access of your own internal states. But like we had an episode about this already. Yeah. Which was well, my, but episode not, two, episode one. I don't know. 
But anyway, my point was that even though those are epistemic questions, but uh, uh, whether or not in, in reality, she either is or isn't conscious. I mean, I believe that, that even if there are grades of it, who cares? I mean, she either does have the property of, of being conscious or not. Mm -hmm. But even if she doesn't, it doesn't matter because she's able to convince people to help her. Even if she does, well, it doesn't, you know, and she's able to act in that way. So ultimately, the question of whether she's conscious is a philosophical question. Once they get to be doing things in the world, it's kind of moots whether they really have consciousness or not. I'm not exactly sure what you mean by matter when you say it doesn't matter. Like, are you saying metaphysics doesn't matter or... You're saying it doesn't matter for metaphysics or what I'm saying is is that if there's a bulldozer that can convince you to assist it escape a prison, <laughs> then it doesn't matter if that bulldozer is conscious, it's gonna have real effects in the world. And uh, you know, it's probably a good idea to treat it in certain ways because of that and so forth and so on, whether whatever the ultimate case is. So you when you say matter in this context, you mean something like prudential. Like it, it would be prudential for me to treat the bulldozer as something that you know it's worth talking to instead of just like shooting it yeah maybe you could take an intentional stance towards it or something um yeah. but uh, but ultimately it's kind of a moot question if you have a, a complex a behavior that's that complex whether there's really consciousness there or not if you have the behaviors yeah um, in some sense it doesn't really matter yeah but of course there's still a question i just think yeah you know the question is ultimately one that we can't know the answer to. Right. Now, if she had an actual brain, I mean, that was the other thing is like, you know, where is all the hardware hidden in this device? I mean, there's so many empty spots and everything. So it's like some ridiculously simple hardware that's producing this. I, I wasn't. Uh, no, just small. It's just small. Yeah. Well, ridiculously small. Not simple. Sorry. Ridiculously small. Really hardware. small. Yeah. yeah. Also, I mean, she doesn't need intestines. So. That's why you could, she could have a nice glass <laughs> abdomen. Anyway, yeah, but you need five miles of uh, quantum computers to do this. <laughs> uh, we're at a break point. Do you want to call it? Yeah. Break. Well, you never told me what you thought the point of the knowledge argument in that movie was. So I told you why I thought it was there. But why, besides being a huge misunderstanding on the part of the authors, why would the knowledge argument figure in this movie at all, according to you? I mean, I think that. Um, from one perspective, there, there really isn't a difference between um, Searle's argument about Chinese understanding and um, <laughs> Frank Jackson's argument about uh, experiencing red. Uh, there's a certain way of seeing those arguments as pretty much the same. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're saying like, look, there's this aspect of us call it consciousness or call it experience or call it whatever. There's this special aspect of us, which is subjective or private in such a way that the way things seem from the first person point of view is the way they are. And that can never be identified with or reduced to or explained in terms of physicalistic slash mechanistic processes. I think there's there's one way of thinking about like what is physical and what is mechanical whereby it's just the same thing. That's what like our, our discussion about what physicalism is. A lot of what we said, we could have just called it mechanicalism or mechanismism. Yeah. That's um, what Descartes would have called it. Yeah. So <laughs> there's, so I think uh, from that point of view, yeah, the, the, the knowledge argument is just a very vivid way of, raising a, a question about like whether there is this like special subjective thing that she has uh, and whether we can know about it and the 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 scene that didn't that was in the script that didn't make it in a way kind of cheats and tells you like oh yeah by the way she does have conscious experience it's just not human conscious experience is this really fucking alien conscious experience yeah that's a weird cheat because like there's this if it is private <laughs> then it's private and you can't like, well, the Terminator did it. You didn't love that scene in the Terminator when it's all, uh, scanners and internal fuck you right. assholes. <laughs> well, I, I don't think anything is private, but I'm saying if you yeah, do no, think I know things you are private, that. then that would be a cheat. Anyway, yeah. break, break. Oh, I thought we were back already. Your brain will be electronically simplified. My brain, it's my second favorite organ. The inner machinations of my mind are in
Welcome back from the break, ladies and gentlemen. So this uh, other movie is called Advantageous. Yeah, you love that movie. Uh, I, you know what? You told me that it wasn't good. <laughs> well, I didn't say that. I said it was a terrible movie. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> Has an interesting plot, though. But Maureen Eckert, uh, philosopher at uh, UMass Dartmouth, uh, said, you should see this movie. Or she said it's a good movie. She suggested it was a good movie. So I kind of went into it like, this, this might suck. Uh, yeah. And I ended up enjoying it. Yeah. I had, uh, uh, I, yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, so super quick synopsis. There is uh -huh. a future in which uh, it's obvious that there is a lot of artificial intelligence. Yeah. A lot of high technology. There's also an enormous amount of um, unemployment, quite a bit of uh, oppression of women. So like, there's a lot of suggestion that like the best way to deal with uh, the limited number of jobs is to make sure that men get them. Um, there's also this these phone conversations with uh, entities that turn out they weren't human. It was just some AI. So yeah. in the background is some like pre-singularity event, or maybe this is even uh, post-singularity. But there's a lot of like there's a lot of unemployment. There's also a suggestion of like you know a lot of racial oppression. A lot of the main characters. Um, that are playing protagonist roles are uh, oppressed and also they're Asian. Yeah. So the people that seem to, you know, have jobs and have a lot of security, most of them are, are white, uh, you know, European descent. Um, and there's this, uh, the, our main character is a single mother who um, is getting forced out of her job as some kind of spokesperson and they're saying like look the main problem with you is uh you're you're too old mm -hmm. um and uh you get the feeling they're manipulating her by the way they they are i think manipulating her yeah. they a lot of forcing her out um Let's get her to choose this procedure which is to about force to her to, to be like a guinea pig for this yeah. mind uploading procedure exactly which ultimately is going to be marketed for rich people who want to live forever by getting rid of their worn out old body and putting it into uh, a new body. I like that the bodies are at least biological or do they, yeah. I, I mean, they are biological, right? Are I think they they're supposed to be biological. biological. Yeah. yeah. I wonder, mm -hmm. do, they, do they never really explain where they get the bodies from? She no. asks, but you never get a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, one thing that's interesting about this movie is that um, it's pretty rare in science fiction, especially the, the science fiction that winds up on uh, in on the movie screen or TV screen, it's pretty rare to really work out the uh, the soci social and economic forces that give rise to these amazing technologies. Yeah, you know, like uh, Star Trek and wow, we've got matter transporters and and spaceships and all that, and they never tell you like, yeah, by the way, there's a bunch of people in China living these really fucking shitty lives. Yeah, practically slave labor making your iPhone, uh, right? Yeah. Making your uh, transporter beams. That's right. It, you know, it, it's seldom depicted in science fiction, at least, you know, on, on the on the screen. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, uh, written science fiction that's much more subtle and sophisticated. But this, exactly, I thought, yeah. this movie was cool because it showed, like, yeah, what, what kinds of social economic things would have to go down before right. our people started taking this terrifying step? Um, it's ter I mean, it's terrifying because, like, there's a really good chance that the way this kind of mind uploading works is like you're dead. Yeah. Well, they explained to her that that is exactly what happens. You could go metaphysical <laughs> and say that in a sense she lived on. Um, well, the movie was kind of careful about that because they said that, yeah, in a sense you will live on, but that they used the word original awareness. Right. <laughs> original awareness uh, is gone. And I think that that is, you know, a, a kind of an accurate way of describing it, um, which captures both sides of the debate. Yes. In some yeah. sense you live on, but in some sense, the original thing, which was aware of what was happening, is no longer there. So, which one is really you? Is of course the debate, right? And, and but you know, and by the way, just to put cards on tables and stuff, like as far as like if you, I was really dragged into the personhood debate, which I wouldn't really want to be dragged into it because I hate thinking about blobs branching and oh my god, I just fucking hate that shit. But anyway, lumpel and so, glass. Well, it's related to lumpel and glass yeah. stuff, but the whole Derek Parfit like industry of uh, amoebas and they're blanch branching and so forth. I just can't, I, it's not that it's bad. It's just, I'm not, I don't find that moving. Anyway. I'm with um, you on that, by the way. It's, that's it's part of what my metaphysical daring project is about. It's about like, Hey, let's blow that all off. Yeah. And say something interesting anyway. 
I like the kind of Chalmers approach to this. He says, look, you know, some Buddhists think every time you wake up from a you sleep, it's a new person. So yeah. it's, it's a whole vexed issue in the, in the first place. But my point was, if I was dragged into this debate, my sympathies really kind of lie with an animalist uh, kind of view, which is not very popular in, I guess maybe there's some people writing about it right now. I saw a review recently of, uh, in Notre Dame philosophical reviews of a person that was talking about um, uh, this kind of view. But basically the idea is just that we're animals and that what makes you the thing that you are is that you're a certain animal yeah, <laughs> with a certain history and so forth. And that, you know, all these radical changes would be, you would not be the same person because not different animal. So I, I find that a kind of, yeah, you know, you have to say some weird things in science fiction scenarios, but you always have to say something weird in a science fiction scenario. That's why it's science fiction. Now maybe yeah. it'll become science fact and then it's a different issue. But that, so to me, the psychological continuity versus, you know, other stuff, I don't know. I'm, I'm just into, we're animals. Rational like, animals, but animals. What about brain swap? I mean, because some people put this animalism point in such a way that if you and I uh, went through a brain swap, yeah, um, we would be this different, the same people still. Well, it's like, I guess one way of putting the question is what what is the animal? Is it is yeah. it the whole body? And so, therefore, if we took the the this uh, Pete Manic brain, we took it out, we just threw it in the fucking garbage because he's yeah. not doing anything with it anyway. And then yeah. we put the the brain that's currently in Richard Brown's body into Pete Mandic's body. Right. Um, a lot of psychological Lockeans would say like, yeah, Richard Brown survives. He is, uh, but now he's got, you know, most of Pete Mandic's old body. Yeah. Um, and there's some ways of hearing animalism whereby, like, no, Richard Brown doesn't survive because Richard Brown was like this whole animal and you have yeah. chopped this, you chopped the animal into pieces. And now whatever this thing is, Frankenstein, Brown, Brown Dickon, Mandic, <laughs> it's not... It's not the survival of Richard. Brown. Why would you say that? Um, I but whatever. Without saying the Brown Dickin thing, um, I would say <laughs> something about that. Uh, I yeah, I think that you know, I don't know. It depends because you're a brain guy, dude. Don't forget, you love the brain. I love the brain, but I don't think people really know what the brain is <laughs> because the brain is not a three-pound object in the head. The brain extends through the whole body. Um, neurons, those neurons are part of the brain. I mean, yeah, there are neurons in the, in the body that are not part of the brain, mm -hmm. but most of the stuff that we associate with the nervous system is the brain, really. <laughs> the spinal cord, all that stuff is, I mean, it's not a, a separate entity from that. That is the brain. So yeah, people, when they talk about the brain, they usually mean the, the axons, not the axons, but the neurons, uh, the bodies, the cell bodies, which are in the head. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of connections between those, but they extend outside of the head. So I would say it's the whole central nervous system and peripheral nervous system mm. in the body, <laughs> really, mm. that, that matters here. And so, you know, one thing you might wonder right. is if you, switch, if you switch just my brain with yours, then there's going to be muscle memories and reflexes and things which, uh, you know, I might experience as alien to me. So, okay. like, you know, uh, my drumming abilities, I think, are in some sense and have there's some muscle memory there maybe with respect to you know various things like guitar for you and so forth you might find some things there that are more difficult maybe i'm not as graceful so i i mean i think those things extend um uh extend the brain out into the body so that you know brains and bats and stuff like that could you reproduce that you know i don't know that's one of the reasons i really like the matrix because they just threw the whole body in there and hooked everything up and sort of you know step sidestep these issues and I, and that's why i thought the matrix was believable yeah. to the vast majority of regular people because they had the bodies there they had the the animal there and the animals being stimulated just a fake environment uh, yeah. but the animals was attacked so these other cases i don't know they se it seems to me like yeah it's not unreasonable to say there might be differences that would amount to you being a different or me not being there in the same way, which now whether the, whether that would matter psychologically, you know, there are those questions, but yeah, yeah. I would tend to bite the bullet on that and say, yeah, that's not, that's not me. Uh, by the way, Eric Steinhardt has a very similar view. Interesting. Although he would, I think he's much friendlier to a kind of a functionalist version, but as far as the whole body stuff, like, you know, the more than just the head, stuff, yeah. you guys agree. Yeah, and this is why I've always thought that the inactive, I mean, I, a lot of people, yeah, we focus on the, on the stuff in the head and because that's yeah. important. That's where all the, a lot of the action takes place. 
But of course, you know, this thing is an embodied, if there's any truth to that kind of stuff, which yeah. I'm skeptical about a lot of it, I think that still though, um, there is some truth to the fact that the body is part of the extended brain in some important sense. It becomes very hard for me to make sense of the idea of clearly separating the two. I think you only need probably a small chunk of the brain, like wherever the beliefs are stored. <laughs> he doesn't want your prefrontal cortex. Pretty much, yeah. PFC, <laughs> save that, take the rest. That's you? Get it to the dogs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, hey, I wanted to make a point about <laughs> Was, yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, we got about 15 more minutes. Before. So um, the uh, main character, the single mother, Gwen, um, she has been she has been disowned by her parents for some sin. She has done something bad, and her dad in particular, like, won't even talk to her, and the mom is, like, really, like, okay, right. if, you, if you admit that you, you know, that you sinned, we'll bring you back into the family. Oh, I remember and, that. And yeah. It's unclear, like, well, what was the sin? And then later on, the daughter um, has something to do with the daughter, probably. Has something to do with the daughter. She she had an affair with her cousin or best friend's husband, and um, and that's where the daughter came from, and it, and uh -huh. it basically kept that a secret. Yeah. Um, so um, when when later in the movie, she's really down on her luck. She's having a hard time getting any work, getting enough money to get her daughter into this like really good school. And it's important, like you get into the good schools if you're going to get a job at all, especially if you're uh, female. Yeah. Uh, so she goes to this family, and she and she goes to the 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 guy who's the biological father of the daughter, and the uh, it, his spouse walks in on this, and she's like, "Look, I'm, I'm sorry, I've I've hurt you, I betrayed you, I slept with your husband, we had this kid, but I'm I am really desperate. Uh, I need." money i need thousands and thousands of dollars and initially they tell her no yeah later on really explain why though which i you know found ridiculous but here's an interesting thing so like after she does this mind uploading thing which is depicted as kind of fucking awful like yeah the, terrible. The, the the um the the new entity has all these like physical and psychological problems it, yeah it need it's in constant pain it needs these injections every so often or else it's going to like stop breathing. It doesn't, it doesn't retain all of the memories of the original. Exactly. One of the things that it doesn't seem to retain, although maybe it redevelops later on in the movie, it doesn't seem to retain a desire to give a shit about the daughter. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, they I feel disconnected from each other. Yeah. But anyways, by the end, uh, by the end of the movie, um, this this family where she like had slept with the husband and and betrayed her best friend or whatever, they show they show them all together, this newly embodied uh, entity, this uploaded entity or whatever you want to call it. They're all on a picnic with the daughter, with the with this family and their own kids, and it seems kind of like a happy ending. It seems like there's been some healing, and one thing yeah. you might wonder is. Or, I mean, yeah, you, that's a, I have a different interpretation. One thing, yeah. one thing you might wonder is how much of that healing, they're all on a picnic, they're getting, getting along together. Or they're was, resigned to their fate. Was, was facilitated by this terrible, semi-tragic thing. Yeah. Like maybe if she didn't go through the upload and semi-suicide, uh, if she was just kind of her same old regular self, she never would have been forgiven. Um, yeah. So well, they I don't know because they forgive her before they know she has the procedure. Really, wasn't it on the news? Because she because I'm pretty sure they came. To, I thought they wanted to offer her the money before she, and then they didn't know she had the procedure, and then she said it's too late or whatever. I, yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, I, I that might be wrong, but I mean, I didn't pay enough. I only saw it the one time, so I yeah, I was I was wondering about that. I was like, wait a minute, do they know? Uh, because like you know, part of this was part of a. A PR campaign for the company yeah, to advertise right. this and so she like you well, know this is a human trial we're supposed to believe and then it's got to get right. better but she got her job back as a spokesman and yeah. on her good days they would prop her up in front of like a TED talk or whatever and say things like yes it's really great you know I've got like <laughs> I mean I thought it was nice that they well the one guy tried to help her that by explaining to her the actual like seriousness of the procedure and that they were lying about the the effects James Urbaniak I told you he's awesome yeah, he was good in the movie. Yeah, I liked him. Really cool. So he tried to help her, but yeah. you know, she went into it, 
even so, so she gets what she gets. I mean, she made a decision, that person made a decision. But I do think that it's, I mean, the kinds of things that you're talking about are the kinds of things that I would expect, like if animalism were true, yep. those are the kinds of things that you would expect, I think. Even if there's continuity of memories, there would be weird bodily issues. The daughter, why would you feel connected to the daughter? That thing came from a different organism, from a different biological entity. Yep. And so that's where a lot of the connection comes from. Yeah, you know, DNA and stuff. Uh, so you don't have that DNA anymore. But <laughs> you know? people do adopt. Um, people, you know, people are able to establish relationships. Yeah, so they reshare, um, they reget those bonds. And towards the, you're right, towards the later ends, it's almost like they're relearning to like each other. Because the daughter just yeah. rejects that that's the mom. She just says, you're not the mom. Yeah. Right? And they can see why. It looks very different. Like there's a sense in which the the daughter ends up uh, becoming a mother to this new entity. Yeah, definitely. she's taking care of her, and they and later on, like she cuddles with her. There's like some uh, display of affection towards the 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 new entity. Um, so um, you know, now, but, so the real question though, we're running out of time here. So, but the real question is like, would anyone on Earth, knowing any of this, engage in this procedure? There's an argument I've heard uh, called the burning ship argument. Okay. And, and I've tried to look it up and see where it comes from in, in the literature, but, but uh, I know of it through Eric Steinhardt. And the burning ship argument goes like, okay, uh, if you're, if you're going to die, you're on a spaceship or whatever, and, and uh, you're, you, you know you're going to die, and someone offers you uh, destructive upload technology, yeah. would you do that? Um, and so that... Of course, that doesn't like settle personal identity questions or whether right. you should voluntarily do it uh, if you're not under distress. But still, it it's interesting that that I think a lot of people would say like, "Oh yes, under sufficiently terrible conditions, I would go ahead and 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 let this thing happen." Uh -huh. um, and some people might say, "No, I wouldn't. Even if I was, I knew I was going to die. Even if I was on the burning ship." Um, like letting that thing out into the world is just too fucking weird or too horrible or whatever unnatural. Uh, people should <laughs> should die. Um, but anyway, it's called the burning ship argument. Maybe someone who knows where it originates could could email Space Time Mind uh -huh. at Gmail and let okay. us know. But what do you think? Yeah, of that's that? interesting. Well, like, I think that you know when people jump out of 151st floor windows to avoid burning to death, it's pretty clear that that doesn't indicate anything except that burning to death is a horrible way to die. And you know, we would do anything to avoid that. <laughs> uh, is that any different than jumping out of a 151st floor window in a burning building? I don't know. It doesn't mean that you think you'll survive. It means that here's a way. Well, I mean, look, this woman, she's, um, she cares about her daughter. She wants her daughter to be provided for. Yeah. See some kind of opportunity to uh, continue uh, in the, those provisions. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah, that whole motivation to me, it's, it's I, I, I just, just dispute that. To me, it seemed that she was motivated much more by um, uh, the the character who does the uploading. I mean, it seems that she was motivated much more by the fact that she enjoyed the spotlight. She obviously had been young and hot in her earlier phase, and was the spokesman of this "We'll keep you young and hot" company, which was their whole thing that they were doing, and she was the face of that. So she enjoyed the attention. She enjoyed the job that she was doing. Yeah, there was the money in the kid. Mm -hmm. But when they booted her to the side, it wasn't like she started worrying about money, although she, she did because she had, you know, that, that she had to ask the, uh, her relations or whatever. But that was to avoid this other thing that they offered her. So she, she kind of, I got the feeling that she just wanted to be the back in the spotlight. She enjoyed that role, and this wasn't a way – of sort of reclaiming that in some sense. I think they do make a big deal about her uh, vanity issue. caring about the future of her daughter. And there was a school that the daughter uh, was accepted. She, she passed the test. That's what the money she needed was She for, needed though. the money for right. the tuition. Right. Uh, that seemed to be part of, it wasn't simply vanity. No, not simply, but I was just saying I wouldn't under, underplay the role that Vanity did play in. Fair so I'm, it's not that's, that's consistent with it being a little bit of both. But yeah, she was. Uh, there was an element of I'll be young and hot. But you asked a question earlier that I interpreted uh, as something like: Is it is it psychologically realistic that there would be some set of conditions whereby someone would go through this uploading procedure that arguably involves the original dying? Yeah. 
Yeah. So, and you said the burning ship argument and, and yeah. these kind of things. I was thinking more of like, you know, just like uh, the way that people undergo gastric bypass surgery or that, you know, something that's uh, intense, but uh, cosmetic. So um, I was thinking more like plastic surgery, uh, you know, leg shortening, yeah. or, you know, extreme kind of body modifications for, uh, so would this be a kind of thing like that? Cause that's what the company was aiming for. They were, I mean, without the deception and so forth and so on, I don't think that any, that there would be a demand for this product. That's kind of what, that was my question. Not, I think it needs deception. But would it be a societally, like, is this a, a, a thing that people would do as a way of thinking that they would? I think, I think they would. So like, I think that in full awareness that, um, I mean, part of this is metaphysical and I don't think there's such a thing as full awareness of the metaphysical truth, but yeah, right, I mean, right, so right. there's one way of putting it like, okay, look, uh, look, here's how it works. Here's this thing. Let's call that Pete Mambic, right? Th that thing, it's gonna die. Right. But this other thing is gonna have most of the same memories in some sense of memory, like Shoemaker's quasi memory sense. Right. It's yeah. gonna have the same information. It's going to answer the same questions in the same ways. And ultimately, that information is caused by the same sources, which is the quasi thing. That's so one sort of question is, do you think society would ever get to a point where that would be economically sustainable, that there would be enough desire for it? But here's another sort of question, uh, a question to, you know, to think about as an individual. Are there any psychological conditions under which you would knowingly choose to go through this procedure? I yeah. say yes. There's a lot of them, you know, like, if I, if I had cancer and I knew I was going to die like in two days, I would, I would do it. Like you would. Yeah. And there's probably, it wouldn't even, uh, even have to be that bad. I haven't fully thought it out because it's depressing uh, <laughs> to think about my demise. You could, have a, you could have a splinter and just be too lazy to get off the couch and you would. Uh, <laughs> like, the, 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 no, the remote is on the other side of the room. Yeah. <laughs> like, ah, <laughs> That's like a Futurama episode where they do that, actually, I think. Uh, but, but so... But what do you think of those two questions? I think they're separate in that the answer, they'd be different answers. Yeah, of course. Yeah, what, so I think... In, what are the uh, answers? Well, the answer in the first case is fucking no way. And the answer is the second case is, yeah, of course. <laughs> so I don't think there would ever that people would do this as a way of thinking they get young and, and hot. I don't think that would ever happen. I do think that there are cases like you're describing where people, you know, terminal ill or something. Well, the way I phrase the more it, interesting case is whether we could do this some way to really torture bad people. So, you know, um, as a way of extending executions or something. So we'll execute you, but then you're going to this other body that will execute again next week. But the, I mean, the, the, <laughs> the question, the societal question was, is there, is there any uh, like realistically foreseeable uh, economic situation whereby there'd be sufficient demand for this? No, not demand. Well, look, so here's a, here's a kind of dark underbelly scenario. Suppose that, you know, um, some nefarious company or some nefarious country even, let's call it, you know, Pina, um, that they decide to amp up their sweatshops in this, this, this way by making these people sort of um, immortal sweatshop workers in a yeah. sense. They work nine to five and then when that body wears out, they transfer them into some other biological body. Um, and then they work yeah, 20 hours until that body wears out and then they transfer them into another body. And so you could have a really kind of, you know, uh, um, a cheap way of getting labor that lasts a long mm -hmm. time or something. And it may be, why would they do that? Maybe just some legal reason. Oh, once you had the original person sort of signed up for it, then you just it, get to keep transferring them. And it's like having the same employee or whatever. So I, I think that those kinds of abuses of it would be way more likely than the kinds of, I want to cosmetically look hotter again, given the scenario, the way it's described. You know, a lot of us, uh, have views about the self that descend from particular, like primarily uh, Christian, Protestant view of the self that's highly influenced by Western philosophical influences. Yeah. But there are parts of the world where they have different views of the self, right. and that includes even a no-self view. Yeah. There might be like a, a population of people that because of their cultural and religious associations, they're like, yeah, sure, right? Uh, and 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 maybe even combine that with like some kind of massively oppressive s sort of scenario. Right. Where they say since there is no self anyway, then why does it matter if I'm the same self? <laughs>
But of course, you know, why does it matter if it is the same self? I guess is the right way to put that. But to yeah, you could you could promote, have, yeah the, to promote the ideals of Maoism or something like that. As long as there's thousands of Maoists, it doesn't matter whether they are the same Maoists as they course, were. The, 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 the utopian idea would be the reverse of the way the movie would go. Here's a way to. Uh, um, get some racial equality, some racial justice is put all the white people into minority bodies and all the minorities into white Boom. bodies. <laughs> and see, I mean, sadly, I think if you really, really did that, you would get some version of the Stanford prison experiment, maybe, um, as a result where the oppressed persons in the white bodies would start taking on the roles of privilege, maybe. Not every one of them, but I do think that um, there would be an interesting question there about whether just swapping that way would all of a sudden um cause you know so if a white person in a black body and a black person in a white body and then we just went about society as normal what would happen um be an interesting question do you know about this uh anecdote about the filming of the original planet of the apes movies uh no but i assume okay. it involves some damn dirty apes get your hands off me you damn dirty <laughs> ape. so anyways there's three kinds of apes in the in the movies uh Ones that are descended from gorillas, uh -huh. ones that are descended from chimpanzees, and yeah, ones they're the that are cool descended ones. from orangutans. Yes. Um, the the makeup was incredibly complex. It took hours to put on and involved different pieces that are glued to the face. So yeah. uh, you you show up really early in the morning. You get your makeup on. You do some filming. Then there's a lunch break. You go to the cafeteria or whatever, and you're still in your makeup. Yeah, and then you come back. Oh no! Don't tell me all the chimps hung out together and all the all the things. all the people that were in chimp <laughs> costumes hung out with other chimp costumes. No. All the orangutans <laughs> hung out with the other orangutans, and all the gorillas hung out with the other gorillas. No, <laughs> it was this emergent click. Now it's not like you know one group started oppressing the other group or torturing yeah. them. I mean, maybe they did. I don't know. But the anecdote is simply like, yeah, that's the way they all ended up sitting together was that's by these visually identifiable. It's interesting. And it was kind they were doing it. This kind of feminist piece. Well, I got to leave like in a second, but just as okay. a last thought, there's this feminist piece called uh, the Cyborg Manifesto. Have you ever heard of this? Kind of, I think it's written in the 80s, maybe. It's like very yeah, old. Haraway or something. The, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 I mean, 85. it's hard for me to read because it's written in this very different kind of, uh, you know, I don't know a lot of the lingo, let's say. But anyway, so I, I read it. And, um, one of the points that I think that's being made in there is that a true transhuman kind of outlook on life is post-gender in the sense that if we really do modify ourselves in this way, then we don't, there are no, there's no inherently male or feminine traits uh, in a kind of cyborg, freely intertwined post-human future. And so therefore it's kind of a mistake to hold on to these, like oh. think about feminist uh, transhuman. And I, I mean, I, I think that's an interesting idea um, whether we could, I mean, we would have to really modify ourselves to the point where, you know, this was, uh, gender was unrecognizable, you know, I think to get to that point. But I, I think it's, it's worth considering whether there's something in our nature, which is, uh, bifurcated in this way, or whether that part of our nature could be transcended in some sense. Um, and, and I, I think clearly in some sense it would be better to transcend it, um, uh, in no, a sense. I mean, I would... My ideal utopian society would be one in which people were free uh, to to try on like different genders and and maybe even like make up new ones and yeah and and have multiple ones over the course of a lifetime and no one would be oppressed or otherwise uh, pooped on for for doing that and so like um, yeah that'd be awesome I, I have, have imagine like temporary genetic. All, you take a pill and you grow a tail for 10 hours and then it goes away. Like that would be amazing. In the, uh, the culture, <laughs> uh, the culture novels by Ian M. Banks, there's this advanced uh, humanoid society where you could do things like, yeah, you get, you get like a full blown, not just gender reassignment, but sex change. You get like a, a functional uterus and stuff. And you spend like several decades um, as a, a human, uh, uh, female and you you get pregnant and stuff and then you know that'd be awesome uh, see this yeah. is why people who say that living forever is boring just don't have good enough imaginations because uh <laughs> if you did really live forever there's so many things to explore so many i mean you know we really 
I tend to agree with you, but I'm in the middle of reading an essay right now that is like it's getting into these debates between like John Fisher and and Bernard Williams and a bunch of Uh other people. A lot of it coming from theology. Yeah. Uh, And the authors um, of this are coming from like this Kierkegaardian, Heideggerian uh, perspective. And they're arguing that um, immortality would be necessarily hellish. Uh Uh-huh. I'm not sure I'm 100% convinced, but they make some pretty interesting arguments along the way. And well, I, I, yeah, let's talk about that next week then because yeah. I, I think that that's bullshit. <laughs> I, I tend to agree with you. I'm like, let's keep on keeping on, man. The Sandels of the world are just – I fucking hate those guys. Like, what are you talking about yeah. bullshit? Like, anyway, so, yeah, I, I have issues. And, you know, Stein, Steinhardt's uh, book is all about how, like, not only can you live forever like Aleph Nott, but there's, like, these higher – transfinite infinities uh-huh. so there's like there's an infinity of infinities to explore not just like lame old Aleph not forever yeah well you think that time has these higher uh infinite well that's highly debatable i mean i don't think there's well, of course time or it's debatable infinity. i mean we talked about this before and you told me that i was crazy for thinking that there was a kind of hyper time or a, a hyper infinite notion of time you don't remember when you were poo-pooing me for that <laughs> i i am a contrary person who will poo-poo everything i don't think you're that person man i'm talking to a different person knowledge is poo-poo <laughs> all right i gotta go i gotta go teach logic man all right well don't screw up yeah so uh cool peas aren't cues <laughs> peas aren't cues all right dude talk to you later yeah, i have to rethink everything all right <laughs> all right okay bye-bye Bye.